a couple weeks ago, I gave you a um, philosophy of ministry tree, and it was actually um, Brenda, our copier, was not acting very nicely at that, that point, so we couldn't get the color going, and we just had to make copies of it. But it's now back there in color for you. I want to read you two of the fruit that we're looking for to God to, to, to grow in us. Um, and one of them is that we participate in the life of the Trinity. That the Trinity itself has a life unto itself. And one of the beautiful realities of salvation is that we live in that Trinitarian life together. That we're invited in. The other one, the fourth one, says that we want to walk humbly with God. We're going to talk about prayer today. And we believe the way to get to those things, one of the many ways to get to those things, is actually prayer. We don't produce anything in prayer, but that's where God meets us and that where we can participate in his life and where we grow in humility together. And if you look at the ground of that tree, and there's copies of it in color now. Brenda's doing great, by the way. She's doing fine. A little sickness, a little cough. Um, but um, there, there, there are copies out there for you if you want a new colored one. But in the ground there, it says that, if, that God's at work and that grace changes everything, but the change is a slow, messy process. That should get an amen. <laughs> that means that there's a way of communing and communicating and being with God that takes some training for us kind of physical therapy, to work on the muscles of reliance and seeing God at work and seeing how grace changes everything and enduring the long, messy process, relying and abiding on the one who loves us. So how do we pray? How do you approach the sovereign king of the universe who actually made the cosmos into being by his word and will? You could trivialize him, make him your good buddy, or you could thrash and diminish yourself into a place where, you know, he just might hear you. Should you fold your hands, close your eyes, stand up, head towards the sky, surveying the goodness of creation? What do you do when you want to pray, but you're full of doubt? When prayer feels like wishful thinking, Feels like, you know, mental tricks to manifest something you want. Or maybe, just maybe, this sovereign God and king of the universe actually wants to hear from you even though he knows what you're going to ask before you say it. What words would we form on our lips? What posture would we take in our hearts and our bodies? The reason I read those children's prayers is because I think children pray the best. Not because of their insight or deep theological sophistication, but because they just show up as themselves to a God they realize will always be himself. Maybe it's why Jesus commanded to approach the Father like children. I want to say this in the beginning of this series. Uh, I've never met a single person satisfied with their prayer life. Not one. Everyone mourns its scarcity or sincerity. But what if that's not just normal and a product of our sin, but also a gift? 
What if just the, the truest things about prayer is that it's actually contact with the eternal God? And then, therefore, our experience is always something that's a little bit strange or mystifying or infinite. And always this feels us, uh, has us feeling and reeling with some kind of like discomfort, uh, uh, insecurity, and yet longing for more. What if that's the case? The Lord's Prayer is the most famous prayer in all of Scripture and likely all of the world. It is translated at this point to 1,698 languages and dialects. I didn't know there were 1,698 languages and dialects. Some of those are certainly ancient or no longer used. So we're going to dive deep into this prayer. Next couple weeks, I'll be out. I'm going to my cohort, my Schlotwinkel Bruderschaft, which you always, always tease me as with some other name that sounds like that. And so uh, uh, Pastor Austin Pfeiffer from Salem's going to preach next week. And then a real treat, Kevin Teasley of Ole is coming on the 19th now more famously known as Kennedy's dad. But the rest of the time, we'll be working through this question the disciples ask right before the instruction. How should we pray? The answer is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, but we realize it's actually not the Lord's Prayer. You've got to go to John 17 for that. This is actually the Lord's instruction on how the disciples pray. It's the disciples' prayer. Here's what I don't want to happen. For you to understand this prayer more, but then not pray anymore. That's actually a real problem. It's something that malforms us to know things and not practice them. This prayer is not just a prayer, it's a prototype, a model for all other prayers, and a kind of training for our future prayers. So if we work through the whole sermon series on prayer and you understand it better, that's probably good. Or it could be really bad if there's no practice of that prayer. Dead religious ritual forms lifeless minions. Living habits of prayer are where the magic and majesty happen to us and where we see it in God. Don't get me wrong. It is where we taste and see God a lot of times, but it isn't always where we feel better. Prayer is like eating and most habits of the spiritual life. You only remember, what, a handful of fantastic meals in your entire life. But if you're lucky, you've eaten every day. Same with prayer. You commune with the living God. And it starts here our Father in heaven. The traditional form from the King James Version is our Father who art in heaven. It's beautiful, but some of the more modern translations, and certainly the wooden translation, may get at it a little bit better. If you're reading the original language, it starts with the word Father, Father of ours, in heaven. The first word is Father. I think I've told you the story maybe once or even twice. In seminary, we used to have these um, lectures at local bookstores that was tied to the Francis Schaeffer Institute. Francis Schaeffer was a long and wonderful uh, theologian, cultural engager, and pastor. And professors usually gave these talks. One of my professors uh, was speaking. An assortment of random students or passers-by were at the talk, 
uh, at Borders or Barnes and Nobles, I don't quite remember which one, he gave the talk. I don't even remember what the talk was about. And then he opened it up for questions. Now, this professor had a shaved head, really tight, strong beard. He was completely ripped and still is to this day. He used to be a special ops soldier in the army. Plus, he was a Yankee and kind of gruff. When Q&A came, one person was enraged and she said, you re refer to a loving God as Father? I can't even stomach it. If you knew what I've endured at the hands of a father, you'd know a loving God would never call himself father. Obviously, tension, anxiety, semi-public place. How would he respond? I'll tell you at the end. Some of you have had amazing fathers. Some of you had amazing in ways and not so amazing in way fathers. To this day, my wife knows that if she calls her father and says, I need you, however long it takes for him to get in the truck and drive to her is how long it'll take for her, for her to see him to this day. If that happens, it's probably my fault, by the way. <laughs> Most of us have had fathers that mix absence and presence and love and dysfunction, joy and pain in our stories. But for some reason, Jesus makes us start with Father. The great Haddon Robinson, amazing preacher and writer about preaching, that single word Father, he says, sums up the basic relationship of the Christian faith and prayer. When we come to the creator of the universe, we address him as Father. Y'all, sometimes it takes me 10 minutes, sometimes more. Sometimes I can't even get there. Because of all the things that are in my head, all the lies about me or God, they invade my brain and heart when I sit to pray. I have to fight back to my wrong thoughts and emotions about God. I have to fight back my wrong thoughts about me to get to the place where I can utter with any kind of authenticity, Father. Now, to talk about the Father within Christianity is to talk not just about us being His children. To talk about the fatherhood of God is to talk about the eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity that became flesh as Messiah, our Lord and our brother, and the one teaching us how to pray. The radical reality of the fatherhood of God is that he is de it is declared by His only begotten Son, Son of God, Son of Man, the one teaching us this prayer, the long-awaited one, the Savior. The Old Testament addresses, as far as I can read, I, I may be off here, God as Father uh, less than a dozen times. And in every case, it's the entire nation of Israel speaking to God that way. So as far as I can tell, and I could be wrong here, Abraham, Moses, and Saul, many of the people we see in the Old Testament, never went into their room to pray and started calling him Father. In the New Testament, it happens either directly or in allusion 275 times. So when Jesus gets on the scene as the eternal Son, and then offers our life to be hidden in His, He offers up an incredible way of relating to God, the, our Father. 
Because he is the true son, the true child of God. So Jesus is saying, being united to me frees you up to know and talk to God like I do, as father, his own father, now your father. And so in Christ, we, we, we enjoy a deep, familial, intimate, and childlike relationship with his father because of what he has done for us at the cross and the resurrection. I just want that to astonish us. That's it. Let it draw you in that in Christ you are welcome to be a child of God. And it is our father, or father of us in a more wooden translation. Jesus often tells us to go away in solitude to pray, but, and does it himself, but he never says that when you're there, you're all by yourself directing with God to just me and my God but that you are now connected to all those who call on Father. I've said it a hundred times, Christianity is a team sport. It's a family. It's why we make the vows we do in baptism. That's why we send prayer Redeemer praise emails, so we can pray for Beverly's friend, Teresa's upcoming test, Lee's injury, the Goldsmiths, the Wilsons. Because when you go into your closet to pray, there is a host of witnesses and a host of other prayers and people they're with you in some spiritual, beautiful way. Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Jesus moves from the intimacy of fatherhood to the infinity of a God in heaven. It's not first about location, but status and majesty. We come to him and say, Father, the one in heaven. We're affirming that the heart of the universe, when we pray that prayer, is not just ultimate power, but it is ultimate power, but not just ultimate power in the universe, but also ultimate love with power. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him. Doesn't get much better than that. And so we never imagine God as being too intimate or too familial or too fatherly. And you can never imagine man as too infinite, too limitless, or too lofty. He's the Father in heaven, full of the mind-boggling glory, what it means to be king of the universe, and heartwarming love. Jane Marchant writes a poem, To say to God, our Father in heaven, is wondering gratitude is ardent venturing awe, is humble penitence, is reverential praise, is endless fellowship. It's all communing love to say our Father in heaven truly is to pray. So then Jesus transitions our prayer with the, the intimate and the infinite, and he moves us into the first petition, the first request that we pray for. And he says, hallowed be your name. Now, there's not much more churchy a word in the world than hallowed. And you got to love it when kids are trying to figure this out, because it'd be like, Howard be your name, Hollywood be thy name, you know, all sorts of stuff. I'm actually a little embarrassed myself that it wasn't until maybe right before seminary, I realized that, that hallowed be your name wasn't just an, an exaltation, a declaration of work, worship, holy is your name, but it was actually the request 
of the disciple that God was make his name more holy. So let's demystify this. Hallowed be your name is another way of saying, set your name apart in heaven and earth as our very first prayer. Make your reputation be more honored in here and out there. Be more important to us, to me, and to the world. Holify your name, if you will. Make your name more sacred to the ends of the earth. The great John Murray wrote, while we ordinarily first bring our own needs to God in prayer and then think of them, think of them in light of what belongs to God and His interests, the Master, our Lord Jesus, reverses the order. First, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. Then, give us, lead us, deliver us. This lesson is far more important than we think, he says. The Father must be first of all, must be our all. The sooner, he says, I learn to subjugate my desires to him being glorified, the richer will the blessings be of that prayer. No one ever loses by what he sacrifices for the Father. So we don't just address him as our heavenly Father, but we pray for that name, his name, and reputation to be enlarged in the world. Look, humans thrive in right relationship with reality, and the reality is that we're not as important as he is, that our issues are not as important as his name. His ways, his purposes, his reputation, his honor, they're more important than our reputation, our problems, and our trouble. It's a good gut check for our prayers because when it's all about us, there is a, ha- uh, not a, there is a, there a hollowing of God's name and not a hallowing of God's name. And you've experienced this before. What it means to pray by taking the Lord's your, na- your God's name in vain or hearing others do it. Praying about political movements or sporting events or even sometimes practical circumstances or doesn't really feel like God's involved in any of that in the way we pray about it or we're calling for it, trying to baptize our will, not his be done. Our first prayer is that God's name would be more beautiful. Everything else is in subject to that reality. So here's the deal. As we walk through Easter until Easter, I'm asking you to pray this prayer. That's it. I'd love it if it were daily, but I'm trying not to put any like pressure or ridiculousness on you. I truly don't care if there's only one moment until Easter, one interaction with God, where you authentically can pray this prayer. It'll be the best three minutes of your life. And it's okay to be patient with yourself to get there. I do want to give you some practical thoughts about this to help you do this prayer. Before you go to bed at night, before you get up in the morning, simply start, Father in heaven, make your name great. See if you can do it. Stay there if it takes a couple times for you to believe it, even half believe it. If you need help with it, our own Palmer Robertson has edited uh, Matthew Henry's book on prayer. He was a 17th century pastor, not Palmer, Matthew Henry. <laughs> Sorry, Palmer. Um, 
We have copies of it out in the back. They're on the wall over there, I think, to my right when you go out. And it's literally an expansion, a beautiful expansion of the prayers, of prayers the way our Lord taught us to pray. I used it in our devotions and staff this Wednesday, and it's just beautiful. And thank you for Banner of Truth for letting us do this. Like, I feel like I need to put up a sign or something. Um, there's so many other guides to help us with this prayer. One thing that I do when I'm struggling is I just literally say, Our Father in heaven, hallow your name, and I just stop on every word for a minute. Whatever. It doesn't matter. And I know that sometimes, if you're like me, that sometimes your inner voice will say that you're everything but a child of God. Your shame and your doubt, your track record, your body, your fear, your failures, your despair, your rebellion, all that is in you. Sometimes it's overpowering. Just stay there and pray it again. Jesus is telling us that the truest voice, and I know it's not always the loudest voice for us, but the truest voice is one that gets to call the king of the universe father because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the distractions come, it's okay. Lean in. Just say father, daddy, Abba, Papa, whatever is true and familiar. Try to crawl up as a child even when you're, especially if in your anxiety or your doubt, and he is there. You don't stop being a child of God because you can be a problem child. Because all of us are problem children. Every child, adoptive like us or otherwise, have our doubts. It's okay. Be patient with yourselves because your heavenly father is patient. It doesn't change that you are loved or belong. Remember Jesus saying, hey, you're with me. You're in me. I am in you. My father is now our father, and he accepts you because he's accepted me, because I have been the true child. And he's the one that put me up to this anyway. It is my delight, but it was our plan together. And so you're secure here as adopted children, as my brother. Start your prayer in this kind of rest, even if you can't get to any other petitions. Start there. So, I ask you, when it's time to pray, take a breath and say, Our Father in heaven, hallow your name. My professor stopped and he took off his glasses and came around in front of the podium. The person was still red with anger toward this idea that God would be Father. This man is a trained theologian and a trained soldier, and he began to weep. And he said, I know, I know. That's precisely why we need to have God as our Father. The Heavenly Father. That's precisely why I'm doing this lecture. Because I want everyone to see 
God's fatherhood and his goodness as a father in light of all of our failed fathers. Still in tears, he says, I ran away from home when I was 14 because my father lit my bed on fire when I was in it. You and I know what it needs to have a redeemed view of what a father is and how we can come to him. We especially know this. All of us kids, with good fathers and bad fathers, need a redeemed view of who God is, and he defines it by being the true father. That day, my professor hallowed our father's name. He he dealt patiently and tenderly like the father he or she never had. He cooperated with the father in heaven to reveal just how holy and sanctified and beautiful and strong and gracious and tender is our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Lord Jesus, we pray. Teach us to pray. Father, to communion with your Father as ours. Teach us to prioritize our prayers that his name, that the triune God would be glorified as the very first concern for every utterance to you. We pray this because you made a way. You didn't just teach. You made a way for us to pray like this. It's in your name. We beg this. Amen.